I've been preaching uh, for the last few weeks on the Gospel of Isaiah. And of course, Isaiah is one of those fascinating books. It's really a, just a book of, it's one long uh, series of poems or one long poem, as some people have said. And uh, it's divided very easily into chapters 1 through 39, uh, which, are, which deals with uh, Israel during the time of Assyria and uh, God's judgment on the people and on the surrounding nations. And of course, uh, the major enemy then was during Isaiah's time was Assyria. And we see how that God uh, destroyed the Assyrian army outside the gates of Jerusalem, 185,000 people, uh, men, <coughs> um, in chapters 36 through 39. That's interesting because that passage is the only passage of historical, uh, historical passage that's repeated three different times. You'll see it in the book of Second Kings. You'll see it in the book of Second Chronicles and here in the book of Isaiah. But um, like the uh, Bible is divided into uh, 39 books of the Old Testament, then you have those 39 chapters that deal with uh, Assyria. Then in chapters 40 through 66, you will have the Lord projecting into the future. And you have, uh, as we saw, as you will see in the end of chapter 39 of Isaiah, Isaiah tells him, tells uh, Hezekiah that uh, Babylon would be the next big foe and that Bab Babylon would actually take the children of Israel into captivity. And that was uh, over 200 years or 150 years excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, about 100 years uh, from the time that that was actually going to happen. Isaiah would be dead and long gone by that time. And so would Hezekiah. And yet God was projecting this into the future. And to understand chapters 40 through 66, you must realize that <clears throat> Isaiah, on the large part, is talking about things that uh, the children of Israel wouldn't even know. I mean, Babylon was still not a, I mean, it was just an up-and-coming power at the time. And it would take another generation or two before they would become the world power that could have, was even capable of destroying Jerusalem. And of course, then we have the, uh, <coughs> the great, the king uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who fulfilled the very prophecy that Isaiah is preaching here. But he, when Isaiah is saying this, Either <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar is probably not even alive at the time. And later on, we see that not only that, but in chapter, he says that not only will you be taken into captivity, but you'll come back. And there will be another king who destroys or will defeat uh, Bab Babylon. And, and uh, he is going to let the children of Israel come back. In fact, he'll sign a proclamation that we talked about earlier. And his name is Cyrus. And this was just this, what's so amazing about this, and this is why the liberals, people that don't like the Bible, will say this could not have happened. It had to be written later. Deutero Isaiah, this was something that was written uh, before the time of Christ, just before. But no, this was all packaged or planned beforehand. And God not only tells that not only will the Babylonians be uh, beaten by the Persians, Medo-Persian Empire, but there was a guy named Cyrus who's not even born. 150 years later, he'd be born. And we saw all that. 
And what a, so you, in order to understand the chapters 40 through 66, you must, be, you must realize that he is projecting into the future. He is telling things that are not going to happen. And that's the reason we talk this morning that in verse 10 of chapter 46, declaring the end from the beginning. The Lord knows the end from the beginning. And all through the chapters, uh, we see that these chapters now, uh, 40 through 66, are divided into three basic areas. And that is the coming Messiah. And we see him presented in verses four, chapter 40 through 48 as, the, as, as superior to all the other idols. And this is one that he condemns idolatry. We'll see this. He sums, this, uh, sums up the whole issue in these, for these uh, three verses, or these three chapters. I'm sorry, let me... <clears throat> well, it's um, <clears throat> 11 o'clock. Once a week, my voice goes out, and it's 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Let's see if I can... And so we see chapters 40 through 48. Uh, then we have, <clears throat> which is nine chapters... We see the supremacy of Jehovah, and I put the Messiah here, or Jehovah, Jesus, the very name Jesus means Jehovah is Savior. And so uh, we see that um, the superiority of the Messiah. And then in chapters 49 through 57, we see that suffering servant, the Messiah. And then we'll see in verses 58 through 66, nine, uh, there are three different uh, sections here. We'll see that he's talking about the sovereignty. He's king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's all projecting into the future. And yet Isaiah talks about talks as if it's going to happen tomorrow or if it's happening right now. But isn't that what the, you read the book of Revelation, isn't that what, uh, what John does? And of course, he shows us the great visions. And we've been wondering for the last 2,000 years, uh, and folks, if, if the Lord can tell us, declaring the end from the beginning, if he could tell us that Cyrus, was, who wasn't even born yet, was going to conquer Babylon in one day, then do you think the Lord already knows who the, uh, the Antichrist is and when he's coming? Does God know what's going to happen in the future? People want to you know, tell me that, you know, uh, God's got to preserve the United States because uh, uh, the United States is the one protector of Israel. You tell the Israelis that right now with the administration we got. God doesn't need, God is, I mean, Israel has survived uh, uh, Belshazzar, he's uh, Antiochus, uh, Nero. Uh, Israel has survived Hitler and Stalin and whoever else you want to throw out there. And uh, Israel will will, uh, <clears throat> will survive Hamas because God has promised that He will be that these are His people, and so I'm not worried about Israel's uh, protection. God doesn't need us, folks. I hope He does. I hope He'll use us as a country. I don't want to die. Do you? I don't want our country to go down. But God doesn't need us. But we see that God is going to deal with. Israel, and he knows the end from the beginning, and he created us, and he created Israel, and he tells us when the end will be. And of course, that's what we look forward to. 
We look forward, of course, to be up in heaven watching what's going to happen down on earth. But there will be, God is the beginning. Didn't he say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I know when I started time in the beginning, that's the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 1, and I am the Omega. I know when it will end. I know when time as we know it will be no more. So we live in this bubble of eternity called time, the end from the beginning. And so we see now that uh, Isaiah in chapter 46 is summing up this whole idea of the superiority of the Lord over uh, both idols in Judah as well as in Babylon. Chapter 47 will be about Babylon. But notice that he's very sarcastic in some areas. Notice in verse 46, he says, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, the idols were on the beast, of, on, the, on the cattle. Your carriages are heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden. Here you are, you're going to be going off into, uh, into captivity and you're going to be taking idols with you and they're going to be a self-burden. I mean, here you're going to need uh, all the strength you can go to go there and you're depending on these idols and all they're going to be is a burden to you. It's like the people in India could starve to death and yet cows are, ho- are, are holy. It's amazing what, uh, what, how Satan can, uh, can destroy us with idols. And so he says, all these things are so horrible, and yet you're depending on them. But um, uh, have yourselves, you've gone into captivity. Notice he says, you have gone, or you have gone into captivity. They haven't even, Babylon's not even around yet. Notice how he's talking as if it's going to, as if it's present tense. And so if you understand that, that he is talking in the future present, then you can understand these last chapters so much better. So notice he says, listen to me. He says this over and over again for these three chapters. Listen to me. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. Now the remnant are those who are faithful, who have been upheld by, uh, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and even the gray hairs, I will carry you. Those are some of the verses that people love to, to underline. Folks, uh, if you're an older person, that's a good verse for us, isn't it? Even in our old age, if we're the faithful, if we're the remnant, God will carry you. So you say, wait a minute, pastor, that's to the Jew. No, it's a principle. Didn't God tell us that, it, uh, that he will never leave us or forsake us? He will carry you. Even in your old age, God will carry you. I have no, now one thing you'll see over and over again, I made you, I created you, I know what will happen to you. This is, and this is the summation all through this. I am God, I know the end from the beginning and everything is in between. And so this is what he's trying to bring across. Even I will carry you and will deliver you. So God has promised those people who are faithful, even though the nation itself might have all kinds of problems, God will deliver you. Did God deliver Daniel? He was in captivity. Did God deliver Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? Did God uh, deliver uh, Ezekiel? He delivered them. 
And then he, uh, through Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel and others, he delivered them back into the promised land like he said he would do. And this, and what's so fascinating about it, he's pro- prophesying this before these people even were born or even thought of. And so Isaiah is projecting like John did 2,000 years ago into the future. And so that Antichrist, folks, if, he, if we are going to be taken to heaven today, he's out there walking around somewhere. And God already, God already knows his name. Just amazing, isn't it? That's how much, that's how, that's a, my God is pretty big. And uh, so we see that he says, to whom? Now notice, this is his, notice this challenge, his sarcastic challenge. Of the Lord, of course, speaking through Isaiah. To whom will you liken me, in verse 5, and, be my, uh, and make me equal? And compare me, uh, who should be alike? Uh, they lavish gold out of the bag and waste silver scale. You do all these things for these idols and you bow down to them and you prostrate yourself before them. And end of verse six, in verse seven, they, you, they bear it on the shoulder. They carry it and all, all these things you do. Uh, but uh, notice he says, at the end of cha- chapter uh, seven or verse seven, he says, though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. You do all these things. Bow down to him, pray to him, like Elijah did with the, with the false gods. He said, go ahead and pray to him a little bit louder. Maybe they, they can't hear. So he's very sarcastic. And he's saying, these people, you heap all this gold and silver, and you bow down to them, and you dance in front of them, but they cannot deliver you. He says, remember this. Notice he says, listen to me, remember this and show yourselves men recall to mind uh, oh you transgressors remember the former things of old for i am god and there is no other folks this inclusiveness today where we must just all bring all the world's religions together and as long as we're sincere that's all that matters and we've got to have love no there's only one god and there's no other jesus christ is the only way i am the way the truth and anybody who says, well, we can accept other religions and you mark them off right at the moment as someone that God would condemn because there's no other. There's no other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby men must be saved. And what name is that, folks? Say it, Jesus. And so he says, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. So I've been prophesying ever since I knew the plan back in Adam and Eve's days, even from ancient times, saying my counsel will stand. You're not going to change it. Well, if we vote in our church denomination that these perversions are right, then that's, well, no, it doesn't matter. You can vote all you want to. When God says something is wrong, it's wrong. I mean, I got a, a childhood friend. I don't, it's one of those things on that internet where you, you get all kinds of people on your internet that, you, that you've clicked and you made them your friend. But uh, I, I would really like to talk with the person, but he is actually a, a, a pastor. But um, he talks about uh, how that we've got to include other people and all, all these different things. And uh, folks, I don't care who he includes, there's only one way to heaven, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so we see that he says, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do my own pleasure. I will do all my pleasure. God will do what he pleases, folks. I like what uh, the psalmist says. There's a God in heaven and he does what he pleases. You're not going to change God. And his counsel will stand. And if God says something is wrong 2,000 years ago, it's wrong today. If God says that uh, something is right 2,000 years ago, it's right today. His counsel will stand. He says, um, in all his pleasure, he says, uh, calling the bird of prey from the east. Now, here he's saying, here, the bird of prey, he's actually saying, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm, I'm bringing a man in uh, who shall execute my counsel from a far country. So I'm going to have a man who's going to come in and he's going to execute what I set, tell him to do. Even the enemies of God are tools of God. And so he says, listen to me in verse 12. You stubborn hearted who are far from righteousness, I will bring my righteousness near and it shall not be far off. Uh, my salvation shall not linger and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Now, individually, and this is what we've got to understand, individually, Israel is condemned. And yet, excuse me, nationally, Israel is condemned. But individually, anybody can be saved. We know in the last days, Russia is going to have a major part of coming down into Palestine and trying to destroy Israel, right? We know that Israel, that Russia's days are marked, and they are going to be, a, but can anybody, can a Russian be saved today? Yes, Moabites, that God says, cursed be Moab, I, you know, I'll empty out my shoe on that, it's a, a, a curse of disdain. When you throw a shoe at somebody, that's the reason that the person who threw a, a shoe at uh, President Bush a few years ago, that was a national disgrace as far as they were concerned, because you take off your shoe and you empty it out on somebody, uh, that was bad, you know, it's, it's gross enough, but uh, that was just a, a sign of uh, deference, different scorn. But uh, here the Lord says, uh, I will empty out my shoe on Moab. But were there Moabites that were saved? Ruth. Did God save anybody who will? Uh, cursed be the Canaanites. Was there a Canaanite lady that was saved? Rahab. Over and over again, you see that God would save those who would bow to him. Even the Gibeonites. We'll talk about them tonight. I mean, they were scoundrels. And nationally, that was their culture. But God will save anybody who will come to him. And so we see here that, yes, Israel, as a nation, you are doomed. But who will ever listen to me? You're my glory. True Israel. And that's what, uh, what um, uh, uh, Paul talks about. He says, a true Jew, uh, a true circumcised Jew uh, is circumcised in the heart, not just the body. And so he says, uh, a true believer is, circum is one who has given their lives to the Lord and is identified with the Lord. So, and so, so first of all, we see the first section that we, he tells, listen to me, Judah. But then in the second section, or in the, the second chapter, in the next chapter, for chapter 47, we see that he preaches to Babylon. And uh, to the Chaldeans. And were there Chaldeans that were saved? Many people believe that even Nebuchadnezzar, we might see him in heaven. 
I, there's, there's reasons to doubt that. But then some of the proclamations he made, there's reasons to believe that maybe he is. Uh, well, pastor, can you tell me whether he's saved? Uh, I'll tell you when I get there. You know, uh, I don't know. I'm not judge. Aren't you glad I'm not judge? Boy, some of you would be really in problems if I was a judge. But God is the judge. And so I'll let God decide those things. But here we see that he says, come down and sit in the dust. He's talking about Babylon. Oh, virgin daughter of Babylon. Uh, sit on the ground with, uh, without a throne. In other words, you're going to be cast. You're condemned also, O oh, daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. One thing about old Nebuchadnezzar, even though he was a fierce fighter, he had class. And uh, he, those uh, hanging gardens of uh, Babylon were uh, some of the great, well, one of the eight, uh, eight wonders of the, uh, of the ancient world. He knew how to put on the show. And he also knew how to, you know, to deal with people. And so we see, he says, take the millstones and grind mill and remove your veil and turn off, uh, take off your skirt, uh, uncover the thigh. You got another, that's a term meaning you're, you're, you're in shame. Um, he says, I, notice in verse three, your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance. I will not arbitrate with a man. Folks, underline that. God will not arbitrate and say, okay, I'll make a deal with you, Lord. No, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, Isaiah chapter 1. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And don't start talking to me about, well, my sin, Lord, I'm just as good as anybody else. No, God doesn't arbitrate with you. When you come to the Lord, it is totally unconditional. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. So Lord, uh, I'm pretty good. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a sinner, but, um, but you know, other, everybody in that church is a bunch of sinners, so, but I want to hang on to this and I want to give my life to you. No, you come to the Lord unconditionally and you, and you give your heart and your life to him. And so we see that uh, there's nothing good of I whereby to God to bring. And so we see in verse 4, he says, As for our Redeemer, now notice he's talking to the Babylonians, our Redeemer, the Holy One, the Lord of hosts, and of course we studied that name, that's the, he's the Lord of the armies, and you've got a big army, Babylon, you will have. The Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. So there's a bigger God than you are, Babylon. He says, sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called the lady of the kingdoms. <laughs> and they haven't even formed yet. And God's already telling, uh, is, uh, is projecting their demise. He says, I was angry with my people and I have profaned, uh, profaned my inheritance and have given them into your hand. You're just my tool. I raised you up to punish my people. Now, oh, Habakkuk had problems with that later on. And he said, Lord, these people are so wicked. What are you going to do about it? And the Lord says, well, don't worry about it, Habakkuk. I've raised up the Chaldeans. And oh, Habakkuk says, wait a minute, Lord. Those people are pretty mean. 
And the Lord says, well, you ask me. And sometimes it's best not to ask God what he's going to do, right? But here we see again, he says, I'm going to use these people. I'm going to use you, Babylon. Notice how he's speaking to them in advance. He says, you have shown them no mercy on the elderly. You have laid your yoke heavily. And verse 7, and you said, I will be a lady forever. You thought you're going to live forever so that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end. Uh, therefore, hear this now. Okay, listen to this. Now hear this, as a captain would see on the ship. Now hear this. You who have given to pleasures, who dwell securely, uh, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. I will sit. Uh, I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. In other words, I'm going to be pretty secure as a nation. Now these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of your children and widowhood. How, how long did it take uh, Cyrus to conquer, is, uh, conquer Babylon? One night. And this was even before it was formed. Just amazing what God has already projected into the future. And now we have to hasten on. But notice in verse 10, he says, For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. The wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. So like today, you've trusted in your wickedness. Boy, I tell you, it sounds like the Lord would be talking to these Ivy League educators today, wouldn't he? Your knowledge has warped you. He says, I am, notice he says, um, have, uh, your, has warped you, and you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. You are the one to take my place. You think you're the king, but I have a way. Therefore, evil shall come upon you. And you shall not know from where it arises. It's going to spring up like, it's going to snap you, slap you in the face before you even see it. And trouble shall fall upon you, and you shall not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. And that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? Man writing on the wall. Stand now with your enchantments. And it goes on. In verse 13, you, have worried, you are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. And I like this. Let astrologers and stargazers and uh, monthly prognosticators stand and save you. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He had those wise men marching in and marching out. Let them save you. The one thing you'll see about all these prognosticators and everything that uh, he had, they marched in and marched out, and they, never, and they, would shug, they would march in, shrug their soldiers, and march out. They can never figure it out because they don't know the end from the beginning. And neither does any of the stargazers out there today, folks. And Washington is full of them. It's one of the things that surprised me is how many people that are into seances and all kinds of spiritism in Washington looking to try to figure out the future. And so we see that God says, uh, let it save you. It won't happen. Thus shall they be to you, in verse 15, whom, with whom you labored, your merchants from your youth, they shall wander each uh, one to his quarter. No one shall save you. 
Not one will save you. Folks, all the riches we have, all the education, and I grew up in a generation where education was, you know, every problem uh, we'd have in society, just educate the people. We got a bunch of educated idiots out there today. And so, I mean, all this whole stuff, I mean, when, when we got a Supreme Court that says whenever they are challenged, and they brought a challenge this past week, that girls and guys can share the same bathrooms and shower stalls, and that that is up. Folks, we're in problems. I mean, that's denying reality. Male and female made he, made he them. And praise the Lord he did. I sure am glad we have pretty ladies around. I don't want you to be like men. And I don't want... And I, Definitely think that you don't want a bunch of men that would be like you either. Right? I hope. Amen? I mean, am I, uh-oh, I might have said something that might get me in trouble with some agency in the federal government today. But uh, there, we're denying the obvious, are we not? And we're becoming a nation of fools. And no one's going to save us. Whenever we cast off God, it, it, God has shed his grace on us. And when he, his grace is removed, we're in trouble, like any other nation. And so we see that this is what, isn't it interesting? God is preaching to the people of Babylon. And even though there are many of those who would never be saved, Babylon, someone, maybe there's a Rahab, maybe there's a some other person out there that reads this or hears about this and says, I know, I've seen what Israel, what the God of Israel could do. I want to know him. So can Babylonians be saved? I think we'll meet a lot of them in heaven. You wonder about those wise men. Those wise men actually came from the time of Daniel. Dan, they, they, were, they were following what Daniel had said. Are they saved? I don't know because they, they would be an astrologer class that's another one. Well, we see the wise men, there were more than three, uh, in heaven. I imagine some of them will be. I don't know. Uh, but uh, that's going to be a good one, isn't it? But uh, there again, that's up to God. But the, those men were strongly influenced by Daniel while he was in Babylon. And so we see that, um, that God now lays out both the Jew and the Gentile, the end from the beginning. The beginning. And now in chapter 48, he sums it all up. Listen to me again, O house of Jacob. Listen, listen to me. He says, uh, house of Jacob, who are called by the name Israel. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, Christians. Listen to me. And have come forth in the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by my name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. There's a lot of people out there talking about being a Christian today and talking about the church and what we should do and the love of Christ. And yet, the Bible says the truth is not in them. Folks, if people deny the, this book, if people deny that there's any other way except the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, if there's anything that could save them outside of the blood of Jesus Christ, then they do not know the truth and the truth is not in them. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, it says, the way of truth they have not known. And who is the truth? I am the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And of course, that's the Lord Jesus saying that. 
And so we see the truth. They did not know truth or righteousness. There's a lot of Jews out there, and Jeremiah ran into them all the time. Even priests who would throw him in jail because he was preaching the truth. And so there's, hey folks, you got a lot of people out there that are saying they know me and they don't know me. In verse 2, he says, they call themselves after the holy city. Oh, we even identify uh, with, the, with Jerusalem, the holy city. And lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. And yet they don't know the Lord of hosts. I have declared the former things from the beginning. Notice how he goes back and forth. Folks, creation is one of the central doctrines of the Bible. It is he that has made us, not we ourselves. If God created us out of nothing, then he could design us in his own good pleasure. And the one reason we're having so much trouble today is because we've left that foundation and now I am the creator of my own reality. And if I think something long enough, I think therefore I am. So I'm thinking that I am a Super Bowl uh, hot shot and I'm going to win the Super Bowl. And if I think hard enough, it's going to be real. Amen? Absolutely not. And you could think that you're something that you're not all you want to, folks. But God made you and you won't change it. Now, you might take hormones and you might, uh, uh, you might go to classes and all kinds of other things. And you might get with a group of people who, who say there's something. You know, there's people out there thinking they're animals today. I told you about, uh, uh, it, I mean, we're talking about education, folks. The, and uh, Blue Springs, Missouri, my son was telling me, they had to go to and have a referendum about whether or not to have litter boxes in bathrooms because some of the students thought they were cats. I mean, talk about mixed up kids. No one done because you got stupid adults. I'm sorry, I shouldn't use that word. Foolish adults. Some, of the, uh, some mothers don't like the word stupid, so I better, re so whatever. So there again, um, but it is foolishness, isn't it? But uh, folks, when we, lose, when we lose our foundation, then we become fools. Professing ourselves to be wise, we become fools, as the Bible says. And we're talking about educated people. And Isaiah's talking. Isaiah's a classy guy. I mean, the guy's got very good education. I mean, we, Isaiah's probably quoted, and many of his phrases are used more in our, in our language than any other book of the Bible. The guy was was a fantastic uh, poet, literature. And yet, uh, and he's talking to people who were classy, and yet they were fools. But notice how he says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. Verse 3, uh, they went forth from my mouth, and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did to them, and it came to pass. So whatever I spoke, you saw it, and your daddy saw it, uh, because... I knew that you were obstinate. I also knew that your, problem, your weaknesses and your neck was an iron sign. You, what did he call the people? You are a what? Stiff-necked people. He says, and um, you bow in your brow bonds. Excuse me. Verse 5. Even from the beginning. Notice, that, notice how many times. From the beginning. From the beginning. From the beginning, I have declared it to you. But it came to pass 
uh, before it became to pass, I proclaimed it. You saw it. I mean, there had been prophets before me, and I proclaimed it. And you saw what happened with Moses, the prophet. You saw what happened with Elijah. You saw others. And it came to pass. Lest you should say, my idol has done them. I've done that. And remember Elijah, the one reason God allowed that was for, for Elijah to be able to say, your, your, your idols didn't do it, God did it. He says, and your carved image, you, you think that these things have done it. I will not share my glory or my power with any other. In verse 6, as he goes on, they have heard and see all this. And will not they not, uh, not declare it? I mean, you've seen it. Why don't you preach it? I have made you hear new things from this time. And he talks about, uh, I'm, I'm revealing it to you again. Uh, they are created now and not from the beginning. I mean, I'm giving you new stuff. I'm, I'm working in your life. Uh, verse uh, 8, surely you did not hear. Uh, surely you do not know. Surely from a long time ago, your ear was not opened. I mean, you're still, for some reason, you're not enlightened. Now, you call yourself enlightened, but you don't even hear what I've been doing and creating and doing in your life. For I knew that you would deal very treacherously. And you called a transgressor, you were called a transgressor from the womb. I knew you were a bunch of sinners, but I bet I've been giving you a chance. And that's what God gives us. Does God know we're sinners? But did God give us a chance? Did he say, come unto me? Aren't you glad you were saved? Notice he said, that's one of the great passage, verse 9. For my name's sake, I will defer my anger. And for my praise, I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. God promised Abraham something that was going to last for eternity. And God cannot do away with the Jew. We had a government uh, uh, official this past week said, you know, the best thing we could do is just we need to dismantle uh, Israel and get because we didn't have that problem before 1948. And we need to just, I mean, let them go. What are you going to do with them? From the river to the sea, cast them out in the sea. Where are you going to put them? That they wouldn't be persecuted someplace else. And yet we got people who think that, uh, I mean, we're talking about government people who think they're going to do away with the Jew. He says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my name's sake. We saw that even in Psalm 119. I like what Warren Rearsby says. If God puts you in the furnace of affliction, he keeps an eye on the time and a hand on the thermometer. He knows how much you can take and how long you can take it. And God will never tempt you or test you above what you're able who will not fulfill his promise in your life. And so I've let you, for, but it's been for my sake. He says, and then verse 19, or verse 12, I'm sorry. Listen to me, O Jerusalem, O and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. Now, where do we see that? Revelation, chapters, chapter 1. Where he says two different times, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so this is Jesus Christ talking. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth. Who's the creator, folks? Did God create us? 
or did we evolve? Over and over again, Isaiah sows creation into salvation. He says, and my hand has stretched out the heavens. Who made the stars, folks? Who organized the universe? The Milky Way. Who did it? Did it evolve? Was there a big bang up there somewhere? Or did God do it? He says, uh, when I call them, they stand together. Who, who keeps it together? I do. All of you, assemble yourselves and hear. Who among you has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He will do his pleasure on Babylon. Now listen, I don't want to uh, cause problems with you. I don't want to destroy you. I love you. And yet, because of your sin, I don't willfully want to destroy you or to hurt you. And yet, Babylon is the tool that I'm going to use to punish you. Notice in verse 16, come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that, was, uh, that it was, I was there. I uh, like what, uh, uh, when the Job goes through all of his troubles, and when God finally comes to Job, he says, where were you, Job, when I created the foundations of the earth? Folks, where were you? By faith, we understand that the worlds were made. So either you believe that what God says he says in the Bible, or you believe in some scientist that doesn't know beans or what he's talking about. Who created the heavens and the earth? Our Lord. And if he created it, that means that we're responsible to a person much greater than we are. But if we're just a bunch of mistakes flowing through the eternal time or whatever else, who cares because let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But unfortunately, if you have that, that view, you're going to wake up one day and find out you live forever. But it won't be in the place you want to be. But he says, and now the Lord and his spirit have sent me. And of course, he's talking, of course, me there is capital M. And I hope this is Jesus Christ himself. The Lord has sent me. Thus saith the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit who leads you by the way that you should go. Folks, God's way is prosperous. God wants to give us the great blessings. God has shed his grace on us because as a nation we were influenced by him, even though we've been always imperfect. God has been good to you because as a Christian, isn't it better? Don't you have a better life as a Christian than an unsaved person? Have you not prospered? Have you not been protected from so many of the things that the world has to offer? Has not God privileged us? Boy, we hear about this white. Folks, it's not white privilege, black privilege. It's a privilege to anybody who knows the Lord Jesus. God's not a respecter of persons. He'll bless those who will bless him. That's what he's promised. He says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. Why is there no peace? Because the way of peace they have not known. They cry peace, peace, but there is no peace to those who reject the Lord. He says, but peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Why? Because God deals in our hearts. He says, then your peace will 
have been have been like a river, and your righteousness like like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand, and the offspring of your body like grains. Folks, it affects your children, it affects your nation. The culture that we build around the things of God will be a blessing. And folks, there are cultures that are superior to others. And the Christian culture is the greatest culture outside of heaven that we can have. When we say the Christian culture, what does that mean? Basically, that I don't lie, that I don't steal, I don't kill your kids, I don't commit it, I don't steal your wife or your daughters. Uh, I let you have what you have, I don't covet it, and I let you, isn't that good, isn't that good culture to have? And boy, we can get along fine if we just followed the Ten Commandments in this city. Wouldn't we wouldn't need, need a police department. Maybe a couple of judges to decide a few things, but other than that, we wouldn't, would we? Peace comes to those who will adhere to the Word of God. He says, now verse 10, excuse me, verse 20, he says, go forth to ba- from Babylon. <laughs> now Here's that, that thing again where he is saying like Jeremiah, you'll come back. So he's speaking to people that later on will read this, like uh, Daniel wrote, read Jer- uh, Jeremiah about the 70 years. And said, oh, that's what it meant. Well, Daniel and others would be reading this, where they, oh, we're supposed to go back, just like we saw in chapter, chapter 45. Go forth from Babylon, flee to, from the Chaldeans with the voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter to the end of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And that's exactly what they did when they went back to and rebuilt the temple during Ezra's time. And they did not thirst. And uh, he led them through the deserts. He calls the water to flow from the rock forever. What's it, what does that speak of? God was always good to Israel from the very beginning, was he not? And he'll be good to them again if they will follow him. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. Of course, that's Moses' time. But then he ends a verse here that is re- said several times. But he says it, he says it at the end of this section, and I'll say it again at the, at the end of chapter 49, uh, excuse me, of um, chapter 57, which is the, uh, next, uh, the next section of nine chapters. And he says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And what a way to end. There's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Peace, peace, but they have no peace. If you want peace, wonderful peace, let Jesus come into your heart. The way of peace they have not known. But peace comes from God. Peace like a river comes to those who will know him and have peace with God so that they can have the peace of God. Oh, do you know the Lord Jesus? Is there a turmoil in your heart? Is there sin there that has not been confessed that if you will confess and let God deal with it, then that's what inner peace comes from knowing the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Those who reject Him, they might have a few enjoyments on earth, but they will not have that peace that passes understanding that peace that only comes to those who know him as Savior. I am God. There is no other. Who will you compare me to? And we see that's a resounding 
message we have today, folks. There's only one way, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the hope of the world, is he not? He's the hope of the individual. Whosoever will may come. Are you part of that remnant? We know the world is going to hell. We know that, uh, that there's going to be all kinds of turmoil in the tribulation to come. But those who will turn to him, he will in no wise cast out. Do you know him? And what do we declare to others? He who knows the end from the beginning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father this morning because of what you've done on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Lord, the plan of the ages, the redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ is free to all who will come to you. Lord, may we realize that you will not arbitrate, you will not, you will not uh, bargain with us. We come to you because our sins are scarlet, because we are sinners in need of a merciful Savior. May we come to you, Lord, just as we are, without arguing, without one plea, without trying to bargain with you. But Lord, realize that whatever you have for us is best, and we will receive it. Salvation in all of its amenities, all of its benefits, comes to those who know you. Bless your people, Lord, and bless us with the power to tell others about what we know and declare to them, he, him who knows the end from the beginning and what they, God can do and what you can do in their lives if they will turn to you. Bless us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.